Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. see this week's message is, is entitled, Advice from the Sage, and that is Peter. You know, this is not something that we could have said about Peter earlier in his life. You know, back in the Gospels, I don't think we would have considered him a, a wise man. He certainly was not a wise old man at that time, but the 30 years intervening between the time of the Gospels and the time when he wrote this letter to the persecuted churches, Peter had learned a few things along the way. And as we begin this morning, I'd like for you to think of someone, someone in your, in your life that had a profound impact on your life. It may have been a coach, it may have been a teacher, it might have been a parent or a grandparent, it could have been a neighbor, another relative, a boss or someone. For me, it was uh, in high school, it was my high school Navy ROTC instructor, Captain Al Borchers. Uh, captain B, as we affectionately called him, had retired from the Navy as a captain. After 30-plus years, he started out as an enlisted man, and, and he came to Grove City High School to teach naval science to a bunch of young people. I always look back and I think, wow, what an undertaking for him. He drove almost 30 miles from Westerville, Ohio, down to Grove City, the suburb that, suburb that we lived in. He had this little Fiat that more than one, on more than one occasion, a bunch of us uh, guys got together and turned it sideways in the parking space. Uh, and we like to play practical jokes. He had a great, great sense of humor. But, you know, he was very important to me. He coached my rifle team that I was on. Um, he was closer to me. I was an Eagle Scout, but Captain B was closer to me than my Scoutmaster. He encouraged me. He believed in me. When I applied for the Navy ROTC scholarship to go to college, the Navy had some problems with a surgery that I had had when I was 14 years old, the very year that I, that I met Captain B. That surgery knocked me out of most of the, the second half of the football season. I uh, had to drop one class as a result of it. And uh, so it was, it was a pretty, pretty major thing, and the Navy didn't like that and was disqualifying me for scholarships for the Naval Academy and such like that. But Captain B believed in me. He, he pushed me, he, he encouraged me, he wrote letters of recommendation, and I ended up getting a waiver for that condition. Captain B was at our wedding. He was there the day that Lou and I got married. When I graduated from Ohio State, it was him that I had commission me or swear me in as a naval officer. That's how, how important he was to us. Well, when I qualified for surface warfare officer in 1984, I was in the Mediterranean on my ship, and I, I, I sent a letter to Captain B, and he replied with the following response. He said, Dear Walter, now, most of you know I do not go by Walter. My mother didn't call me Walter, but Captain B called me Walter, and he could get away with it. He said, I re just received your letter, and, and he had a sense of humor. I, I've got to tell you this. I, I can't ignore this. Around, the, 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 uh, around here, it's got these bunnies, and they're saluting. And it says, 21 buns salute. He had a really uh, dry sense of humor. 
But he said, I just received your letter of 8 April with great news concerning your surface warfare officer qualification. I think that it is just great for you, for you and Luann and Julia too. Because this is such a special event in your life, I am writing on this my special commendation stationery. <laughs> Thanks so very much for the nice words concerning my influence on what you have accomplished thus far in the Navy. I take little credit. You have accomplished much with what the good Lord gave you. And I know that Luann's support of you and what you are trying to do has meant much to you in all your endeavors. As I think back, Walter, at all of the young people who touched my life, you will always have to stand out. You had abilities plus a determination to use them. Some others whom I have known who were similarly gifted just did not have the grit and determination to keep fighting when things got rough. Whenever I hear from you, I take a few moments to recall the fight which you put up to overcome the initial adverse physical report and to get accepted into the ROTC program. Most others would have said, oh well, and given up, but you didn't. Then later, when they ruled against you being accepted for submarine duty, you didn't let that daunt you either. So keep up the fine effort and the other recognitions of your abilities and achievements will be coming your way. And please keep on letting me know of your success for you too or a very special person in my life. Well, Walter, for now, take care and have a safe voyage back to the States. Give my love to Luann and Julia. All the best to you, Captain B. As we jump into this morning, as we continue in 1 Peter, I look at this section in chapter 5 as something that Peter says to himself, look, I've got something to pass down. I've got something to, that, I can, that I can pass down to the next generation because of the life lessons that I've learned over the past 30 years. Last week we began looking at chapter 5 and we saw that Peter spoke to the elders. We looked at those who were not only leading the church, but were leading families, leading teams, leading communities, leading in, in the workplace. Those who were a bit older and in a position of leadership and, and influence. And we looked at how all of us are in a position of influence or leadership, whether it be with friends, in our family, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, in our communities. Well, today he says, okay, elders, I've got you taken care of. Now, let's talk about the next generation, those who are coming up. You know, how many of you have people in the next generation that you would love to influence in your life? You know, I think most of us do. If not, come see me because I want to know why not. We should be about influencing the next generation. And so Peter's going to turn to them, and he says, now let's talk about those who are still learning and those who are still in transition, those who are the future of our society, and yes, the future of the church. So chapter 5, beginning with verse 5, he says this. He says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothed yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. Now, if, if we're honest, if we're honest, we, none of us ever really arrive, do we? We're all still works in progress until the day that Jesus either returns or he takes us home to be with him. So though he's talking to younger men and, and women in the church and the community, as you'll see, the advice from the sage continues to be good advice for Jesus' followers of all ages. He says, look, I can teach this. Peter says, I walked with Jesus. Now, Jesus had to pull me aside plenty of times and say, hey, look, Peter, you've got a few things to learn here. 
And if you go through the four Gospels, this is a guy who was, who was the first to speak up. He was the first to act out. He was the first to say something or to, to do something. He was a man of action. He was the first to, to, to talk about how good he was and, and to kind of want to take leadership, uh, even when it meant kind of opposing Jesus and, and what Jesus was trying to lead them to do. So here's a guy that plenty of times had to be pulled aside and said, whoa, 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 slow down. Slow your roll there, Peter. Let's look at a few things and talk about how you can develop into the man that God wants you to be. And whether we've been following Jesus for a minute or for a lifetime, we are all still in that process of saying, okay, who are we becoming? And who does God want us to be? How can I be more like you, Lord? And so today we pause and I want to look at a few verses and, and say, okay, if we've not yet arrived and how are we going to get where God wants us to be and, and what can we do, what can we find in, in these few verses here that can help us to help that next generation that we're going to pass the torch to. So let's look at a few things beginning there at verse 5. It says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Now, isn't that just one of the greatest things in the world that you love to hear? Be submissive. That just kind of goes against our, our grain, doesn't it? Just, just go submit. Well, I don't know about you, but that's not necessarily my A game at all times. It, it's, it's not what we do. But all of us have a tendency to, to do what we want to do, and, and some of us just plain don't like authority. The first people that we learn to submit to are our parents. We argue with them when our will doesn't match what they want us to do, and that starts at a pretty young age, you know, before we can probably even talk. If you've ever been around toddlers, which I know everybody here has, you don't need to teach a child to be willful. You have to try and help them to be submissive, help them to learn submission. Willfulness comes uh, naturally. Submission does not come naturally. And then we go from our parents to our older, older siblings, which I like because I was the oldest in our family. I was the oldest uh, of three boys and then a, a sister who came along 16 years after I did. And sometimes if, if we don't submit to our siblings, our siblings have to physically make us submit to them. Uh, we have to learn to submit to teachers. We have to learn to submit to, to coaches. We have to learn to submit to bosses. And as I've been a leader in, over the years, I've noticed the people that have problems in organizations are those that haven't learned to submit. The Lord puts people in our lives that we have to learn to submit to, to follow. And Peter says, look, if we're going to start anywhere, we need to start right here with this submission piece. And I put on your note sheet, put it like this, learn to submit it won't be easy. It's not easy, is it? But the sooner we learn to submit, life will go a whole lot easier. But some of us find this harder than others, as I said. Here's Peter, who is a young man. He's in the garden. Jesus is being arrested. And Peter pulls out his sword, and he chops the ear of the high priest's servant off. Now, Jesus knew what was happening. Jesus was in control of his history. This didn't catch Jesus unawares. In fact, he said, okay, here comes my betrayer, but Peter has to be the guy of action. And so he cuts the guy's ear off, and this is, you know, this is while there's, there's law enforcement there, there's guards, there's the people that came to arrest Jesus, and this was not one of Peter's uh, shining moments, if you will. And John tells us that Jesus heals the man's ear. Peter doesn't submit in the garden and years later, after learning a few things, he says, look, don't put up a fight unless God directly says to submit. Jesus didn't say, hey, get him, Peter. Peter wanted to be the pit bull and protect Jesus. He says, start with submission. 
It's not a matter of getting hurt. It's not a matter of losing faith. It's not a matter of, of choosing to be where God already has put you. You see, Peter learned some amazing things from walking with Jesus. And if we call ourselves Christians, if we call ourselves Jesus followers, submission has got to be one of the first things that we do. Because we have to understand that true authority is where we stand under the authority that God's allowed to be over us. God allows authority to be over us. Paul talks about this in, in Romans chapter 13. He's writing to a church that's going through persecution of the government. They're being persecuted by culture, by society. And he pauses and he says, look, I know things aren't great. I, I understand that Roman rule is not very supportive of your cause or supportive of our faith, but we've got to understand where that authority comes from. And in Romans chapter 13, and, and, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I wish there were some things that were in the Bible weren't there because they're not easy for me to follow. But he says, he says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Well, what if I don't like them? Well, Jesus, Jesus doesn't say that there's, a, there's an exception there. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. In case you didn't get it the first time, Paul says here, I'm going to state it again. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Again, sometimes I wish that wasn't there, because there's things that the authorities, there's things that the government, there's things that, that, that are put out there that I don't necessarily agree with and don't like, but God tells me to submit. Paul says this isn't going to be easy, it's not going to be fun, these leaders aren't great, but God allows them to be there. Really? God, you allow that boss to, to be in this place? You allowed my family to be in this situation? My coworkers? Yeah, he did. He allowed that to happen. We have to remember that this is not home. This is not home. This is a training ground. This is the place where we are until we get home. And so at this point, these guys and gals are in control, but God is ultimately in control. And when we look at it and we understand that, we say, yeah, things are rough, things are crazy, and I don't really like the situation, but, but I have to serve God, and therefore I have to serve these folks as well. And there's times I've thought, man, that's crazy. Why would God put those folks in charge? There's a great story of submission in the Old Testament. On your life notes, I've listed a few passages from 1 Samuel. It's a story of two guys named Saul and David, and most of us are probably very familiar with this, with this, uh, this story. I preached a series on David's life, I think the year before last. Here's what happened. You've got God's people, Israel, and they have these, these folks called judges that are over them. The judges are people, they're men and women that God speaks to, and they're the, the mouthpiece for God, they're the voice for God to the people of Israel. But Israel wasn't satisfied with that. Israel wanted to have a king. They, in fact, they almost practically demanded a king from God because they wanted to be like all the other nations. Ever hear that from your kids when they're growing up? I want to be like the other kids? Well, it's not always the best thing to happen. And so God says, look, I don't want to give you a king because kings are men and, and men are fallible and this isn't going to end up well. But they said, we want a king. They were adamant. They wanted a king. So he says, okay, I'm going to give you a king. This guy named, named Saul, he's going to be your king, but trust me, you aren't going to be happy with him. 
So Saul becomes king, and at first, Saul looks really good. Saul's tall and handsome. He's a great warrior. The problem is Saul didn't have the character of a king. And so as he leads for a while, after a while, he starts going against God. He disobeys what God explicitly tells him through the prophet Samuel, and it gets so bad that God says, I'm done. I'm done with you. You're not my guy anymore. And with that, God calls a new king. He sends Samuel out, and he sends Samuel to the family of Jesse, and, and they go through all the boys in Jesse's family, and Samuel's perplexed because, wait a minute, God hasn't told me this is the one. He's told me all these aren't the one. Well, Jesse, is this all the boys you got? Well, there's the run of the litter, David. He's out with the smelly sheep, tending the sheep out in the fields. And so he says, bring him in. And God says, this is the one. And God says, I don't look at things the way that you look at things. You know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so God has Samuel anoint David. So David goes on and he, he kills Goliath and he comes on Saul's radar and Saul takes him under his wing. And, and then Saul starts getting jealous of David because people start to like David. And so Saul gets jealous and this jealousy feeds us into anger. And so then he ends up wanting to kill David. So here's David, a man that's chosen and already anointed by God to lead God's people. And here's the, the old king that, that, that God said, no, you're not going to be my king for long. I'm done with you. And David runs. David hides. David gathers a, a group of, of brigands and mercenaries around him, and he's running for his life, and Saul's pursuing him, trying to catch up with him. And then one day they have this encounter where Saul doesn't really realize what's happening. They're out hunting for David, looking for him, and, and Saul says, uh, guys, I've got to use the facilities. And so um, he says, okay, I'm going to go in that cave over there and relieve myself. And what he didn't realize, this, I always read this passage, and when I read this passage first, time, I think, man, this had to be a pretty big cave. Because David and all of his guys were in the back of the cave, in the back of the cave. And David and his men realized, here's your chance. Here's your chance. Saul's going to be vulnerable here. And all of David's men are like, he's hunted you. He's, he's pursued you. He's not even God's guy anymore. So why don't you just kill him now? Take him out. But David has a different perspective. And so instead of killing him, David cuts, just cuts a piece of Saul's cloak off. That's how close he was. He could have jabbed a, the knife into Saul, but he didn't. And so he cuts a piece of his robe off, you know, just so he could say, hey, see? See what I could have done to you? And then in verse 5, it says this. It says, afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of the robe. And, and you need to understand the context here. Da David had disrespected the king by doing this. Yeah, he, yeah, we all sit here and say, oh, get him, David. He deserved this. You know, it's only his robe. But, but David understood he had disrespected the king, the one that God had allowed to be in a position of authority over Israel. And David said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. So here's a guy that's been, been called by God and anointed to be the next king. And he's been told, you're going to take over. And all the men are saying, all of his friends, all of his guys follow him saying, do it, do it, do it. And David said, no, I'm going to let God take him out. I'm not going to take him out. The Lord didn't tell me to do this. 
He says, I'm not going to go against the authorities that God put in place, even though it appears that I have every right, even though it would feel so good to do this, to stop running and take the king now. I'm not going to do this because God has not removed Saul yet. When we understand that authority has been given to those empowered by God, that God allows that to happen, and we are in a place to submit to them, it's not that we, we lose, it's not that we give up, it's a choice. It's a choice to say, yes, God, I understand that you are the ultimate authority, and I will be where I'm at, and I will allow those in power, those that you have allowed to be in power, to be in power over me, because you've put them here, and you've put me here. So submission starts with understanding that God is the authority. It's not about us. We're simply servants in this thing that God is already doing. So though it will not be easy, we're called to submission. We're called to submit. Peter continues in his letter. He says, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It says, look, after we submit, we need to come to this place where we clothe ourselves with humility. We put on humility. And I love this idea of clothing yourself with the humility because each one of us have our own personality. Each of us choose to clothe ourselves in, in different ways with different things, but it's, it's not always the same way. It's something so simple as, as getting dressed. If you look around this room, all of us are clothed, thank goodness, but we're all clothed differently. None of us look the same. You know, our clothes reflect our comfort. Our clothes reflect our personality. And, and we probably have different ways of, uh, about choosing what to wear and, and how to get dressed. Now, some of us, some of us, it's easy for, easier for us to be humble. Some of us, it's easier. Others, it takes a little bit more for us to be humble. And sometimes we need to be helped along. God allows, has to allow circumstances to help us along towards humility. But I love the fact that he said, clothe yourself with humility because it's something that you do daily. It's a choice you make, and it doesn't necessarily come naturally. You know, kids have to be told, hey, go get dressed, don't they? You need to put something on. You can't just go to, go to church you know, naked. You've got to wear clothes. It's something that we choose to do. So we choose humility. It doesn't come naturally, though. Some of us have a natural tendency to be able to go to that spot easier, and, and others fight it, and all of us are on the spectrum somewhere. But if we get to a point where we realize, you know what, I call myself a Christian, I call myself a follower of Jesus Christ, and all that that means, then I want to be more like Jesus. We come to a place to realize that, that we need to, to look like Jesus, we need to follow Jesus, we need to act like Jesus. And in Philippians chapter 2, Paul is writing to a new church, and he says, look, there's a lot of things that are going back and forth, and how we interact with one another, and how we do these things on a daily basis, they need to be different from the way the world acts, and so he says, look, the best picture I can give you, the best picture I can give you, the best definition has to be the example that Jesus gave us, and he begins there in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, it says this, your attitude your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or, or to be held on to, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." He says, look, if we want to be like Christ, 
then Christ was the ultimate example of humility. Here is God, all-powerful, almighty, creator of everything, creator of mankind, and he sees that, that, that we sin and, and that the only way that we can have a restoration relationship is if he comes in the flesh as one of us and then dies a painful death that he didn't deserve to die. I can't think of any greater example of humility than to say, you know what, I love you so much, this is what I'll do, and I'll give you this example. And he says, look, follow me and do likewise. Because I think that we need to understand that the way we clothe ourselves, the way we choose humility, the way we do this, it can either represent us or it can represent Christ. As we clothe ourselves, we represent somebody. When I was in the military, I didn't have much of a choice on what to wear. Every day you already know you don't have to choose what's what to take out of the closet. When I came here, I kind of got my, quote, uniform. I said, okay, I'm going to wear khaki slacks, have a couple pairs of black slacks, and use more black-type shirts and stuff like that. Because I don't like to have to make a bunch of choices about the, the clothes to wear and stuff. In fact, this morning, Lou wasn't there, so I chose this shirt. So if there's a problem with this, it's a problem with me, not with Lou. But she's the one that usually dresses me for Sunday morning. Okay. What shirt do, should I wear today, honey? Fortunately, she keeps some ironed in the closet, and I just so I know this one today. You know, when I was in the military wearing a uniform, I represented the government. I represented the Navy or the Coast Guard or the Marine Corps, depending on which service I was with at the time. And you represent someone with, with, with the clothes that you wear. You, we represent God when we put on humility. He says, clothe yourself with humility. And as we're, as we're humble, as we're, as, we're, as we're reaching out to people, as we're kind to people, we're reaching out in humility, we're representing God. And so for some of us, we need to choose humility because we say that we're Christian, but our life doesn't always show it. And for others, we're just kind of plodding along, and God says, yes, that's, that's, that's what I want. What we choose to put on represents, whether it be arrogance or pride or, or, or whatever, that represents. So we want to represent the Lord. We want to represent our, our, our Savior. As we humble ourselves and as we say, look, this is not about me. It's about God. At that point, God says, all right, that's my boy. That's my girl. You're representing the family well. It starts with submission. It works with humility. And I think the third part here kind of builds on this because you can't have the third without having the first two here. Back over to 1 Peter. Peter says this. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. I put it this way in your life notes. Take the time to wait. You won't want to. He says, after we submit, after we humble ourselves, then comes the third, and probably for a lot of us the hardest. We need to take time to wait because God says in his time, in due time, he will lift us up. Now, if we realize that we're submitting to each other and to, to the Lord, we're humbling ourselves, and at that time we're on his timeline, but how many of you like to wait? Anybody just loves sitting around waiting? I mean, I'm the guy that carries a book, and I've, I've been seen to be reading it at red light because I hate wasting time. I usually carry a book with me everywhere I go because if I'm having to wait at a doctor's office or something, whatever, I've got to have something, something to read. No one likes to wait. I can't think of anybody that I've ever seen that cuts back in line. Everybody wants to cut in line. Does, does someone say, oh, I'm next? Oh, here, 
Let me run to the back of the line and start the wait on over again. I'm going to be number one. Let me be number 10. Does anybody love going to the DMV? I think the DMV is kind of the, the, wait, the wait place on, on earth. You've seen the movie Zootopia. It's a kid's movie. It's a great movie. I watched with my granddaughters. The animals representing people, and the people that work in the DMV are represented. I hope no one here retired from the DMV. But the people that are, the, the animal they use is a three-toed sloth. And it's painful to watch those three-toed sloth at the, D, at the DMV. Well, this, this week a miracle occurred. A miracle occurred. I bought a travel trailer last weekend, and I went to the DMV, and I was in and out of there in 35 minutes without an appointment. I couldn't believe it. I've never, you know, I've lived in probably eight or ten different states, and I've never been in a DMV less than an hour, hour and a half, and that's even sometimes with the appointments. Well, how weird would it be if a child said, okay, it's December 22nd, 23rd. Oh, I wish it was June, so we had another six months till Christmas. No, we don't like waiting. We hate waiting. We're, we're impatient, some of us more so than others. We want what we want, and we want it now. So much that our, our technology gives us instant meals and instant downloads, and, and if our food takes more than, more than three minutes, think, think about your grandmother. Can you imagine preparing a meal in three minutes, you know, in your grandmother's time? No way. And, and I, I like cooking, but, you know, sometimes whenever I'm in a hurry, the thing is the microwave doesn't cook any quicker if you watch I think when it comes to waiting, it gets rough because if we're not submitting and if we're not humble, then waiting is going to be very difficult for us to do. But Peter says, look, if we submit, if we choose humility, then at that point, God will be working in us. And as we wait, he will process us. He will work in us. He will work through us. He will, he will bring us through it. And I'm a firm believer that, that, that God works in our waiting. If you look at the heroes of the Bible, the, the men and women that we read about, I talked about David earlier. It took 15 years, 15 years from the time that Samuel anointed David till David took the kingdom. 15 years, 15 years of serving under Saul, of being lied to by Saul, of being chased after by Saul, of being promised a wife, one of Saul's daughters, and having that wife taken back. 15 years fighting with the Philistines, having that crazy when he was with the Philistines so they wouldn't kill him. 15 years before David finally got the promise, got the throne that God had told him would be his. Jesus lived on this earth for 30 years before he began his earthly ministry. And we can think of guys like Abraham and, and, and guys like Joseph and like Moses. If you study their lives, you look at them, all these folks had some time of waiting that they had before God lifted them up. And I believe that it's in that time that God works in us and through us to develop us. But when we want what we want, it makes it hard for God to work in us when we're not patient, when we're not willing to wait on him. And we might even get some of the success of the world, but that's not what God has for us. He says in due time, in his time, in his time, he says, I will raise you up where you need to be. In the book of Proverbs, it gives us a, a lot of great one-liners there. And never once have I read in Proverbs where it says, you know, just do whatever you want and, and God's going God's to bless it. No, that's not the way it works. Proverbs 21 has a couple of these verses about waiting and about patience and, and allowing God to do what he does. And, and they talk about this. And so Proverbs 21.30 says this, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan 
that can succeed against the Lord. You may have heard someone say, man plans and God laughs. You ever heard that said before? Man does his planning and God laughs. And how many times do we fail after we think, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to do it, and we, we fail to consult, we fail to pray about it, we fail to consult with the, the godly men and women, the friends, the mentors, the people in our Bible studies, uh, our pastor, our, our mentors. We fail to consult with them, but we go ahead and charge along with what we're going to do. We don't take advantage of the resources that God has helped us to make decisions. And then when it doesn't go well, we go, oh, don't know what happened. Well, we didn't consult the Lord. We didn't use the resources that God gave us to help us to know what to do, how to plan. The next verse there in verse 31 of, um, of Proverbs 21, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. We can do our part, but the victory remains with God. So God says, you must wait. You must wait for, for my timing. And again, we're not inclined but it's in waiting that God will develop us because it's when we're submissive, when we're humble, that God is working in us. And when we don't submit, when we're not humble, we're getting in the way of God working in our lives. But when we get in a position where we say, God, you're the authority, and I understand these other authorities you've placed over me, and I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to submit, and I'm going to wait on your time, well, that time is his time. How many times do we think, I trust God with my salvation. Can I trust God with my career? I trust God with my eternity, but do I trust God with the authorities in my life? I trust God because I pray for my kids, but do I trust God with my finances? He says, look, if you're submitting, if you're humble, if you're allowing me to work in my time, then all these things, they're mine anyway. You're just a steward, and I will allow you to do what you do. I know these things are hard for most of us because they're so anti our, our natural inclination. We don't submit naturally. We're not naturally humble. We don't naturally like to wait. But these are all characteristics that Christ's followers are called to have. And Peter, who learned it, who was none of these things from the start, he says, look, I've learned along the way some of these things that I want to pass on. I want to pass on, I'm talking to the elders, and I'm going to pass on talking to the younger people. And you elders help the younger people to learn it. Now, I know this stuff doesn't come natural, but before we head out, I got just a couple notes here I want to give you of application. And you can use these for yourself, or you could use these for someone that you're mentoring, someone that you're leading, someone that you're trying to help develop their life. Find a young person you can share this with. The first is this. Is God your first response or your last resort? Is God your first response or your last resort? You need to keep first things first. It's rough unless we understand that God is first. Our relationship with God comes before our relationship with our spouse. It comes before our relationship with our children. Our relationship with God comes before every other relationship we have on earth. It's when things get tough and we got to ask ourselves, is God my first response? Or is he my last resort? Unfortunately, so many people in my years of counseling, I can tell you, too many people I see, believers included, God's the last resort when he should be the first response. Because when we keep God on the forefront and we realize he's priority, he's number one, all these other things will fall into place. Secondly, play the position you're in. 
play the position you're in. So many of us want something and we want it now. We want something more right now. We want the boss's job. We want the house that the person up the street has. The person up the street has a shiny new car. They have an RV that we'd like to have. And we want it right now. God says, play the position that you're in. That next step or whatever someone else has, God says, not right now. Wait. Humble yourself. Submit yourself. Just play the part that I've got you playing right now. Have goals. Have dreams. But be willing to sit wherever you are now and work wherever I've got you working. He says, I want you to do this. I want you to trust me. And sometimes God's just trying to build your trust and your reliance upon him. And then finally, the last, and I think this is the hardest and the clearest one, is focus on obedience. Focus on obedience, not success. So often, we look at the end result. We're a, we are a bottom-line, end-results-oriented culture. And I think God's saying, you need to let me worry about the bottom line. You just be obedient. You just follow me. Don't worry about that. Enjoy the journey with me, God says. So what do we do on a, on, a daily, on a daily basis to get to the road, to get to the end of the road? We follow God. We follow God on a daily basis. We obey God in the moment. And the end, the end will work itself out. He says here, he says, in due time. And you might want might to circle that there and on, your, on your life notes. In due time. I know that's something that I need to keep in mind. I need to remember. You might want to put that on a refrigerator, put that in, on, on your mirror to remind you of this. That in due time, that means in God's time, I will raise you up. We don't know whether that's going to be a week or whether that's going to be a month. We don't know if it's going to be eternity when we're face to face with Jesus. But in his time, if this life is his life and his time, then we need to be okay with that. Peter says, I can teach this because I've learned this through my life experience. Hopefully, someday, every one of us here can sit down and say, hey, look, I've got some things to share. And because I've learned submission is key to following the Lord, that being humble is key to representing the Lord, to clothing myself with humility, and waiting on him is key to, to, to being lifted up in God's eyes, that's what I want to pass on to you. It may not come easy, but it's extremely important. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mole and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.